Um, so as Lynn mentioned uh, earlier, last week we were in the States. Uh, we had the privilege of speaking at Luke Gerrity's vineyard in, in California near San Francisco, and then we went to the Society of Vineyard Scholars Theology Conference in Minneapolis, where we were both presenting papers, which is an academic way of saying we were giving talks. And for me, the highlight of the conference was one of the evening sessions when there was an interview with Carol Wimber and Bob and Penny Fulton. Now, Carol is the widow of John Wimber, who was the main founder of the vineyard, who died in 1997. Uh, and the Fultons led the very first ever vineyard small group in 1976. And Bob was on the pastoral staff at John Wimber's Anaheim Vineyard. And then after that interview, they led a ministry time, which was absolutely amazing. And during that time, Bob Fulton read a passage from Ezekiel. And as he was reading it, I thought, I have to speak on that passage on Sunday morning. Now, unfortunately, all he did was to read it. He didn't actually talk about it. So I couldn't steal his material. So uh, you've ended up with his passage and my talk to go with it. <clears throat> so we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 47. But before we do that, let me just give you a bit of quick background. Ezekiel was one of the great Old Testament prophets about 600 years before Jesus, about the same time as Jeremiah. And the passage we're going to look at describes a vision that Ezekiel had, which is about what we call the end times. In other words, it's looking forward prophetically using picture language to describe a time when God is going to intervene in this world and change the course of human history. When God is going to right everything that is wrong, to get rid of evil and suffering and injustice and death and bring in what is called the age to come, that sometimes we call heaven for short. And that's uh, something that everybody who loves him and everybody who wants to be included is invited to be part of. In the New Testament, Jesus calls this the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God. And this coming of the kingdom, when God begins to move to restore our world, began through Jesus' ministry and it continues through his people today, through the power of the Holy Spirit that same Holy Spirit whom he sent to empower us to do the stuff that Jesus did, as John Wimber was fond of saying. At the moment, of course, we see just the first fruits of that kingdom that God has given us as a down payment or a guarantee of the fullness of what is to come. And it's called first fruits because we don't yet see everyone healed or everything that is wrong made right. The coming of the kingdom in all of its fullness will be when Jesus comes again. Okay, so in this uh, prophetic vision that we're about to read, Ezekiel sees a man whose face shone like bronze, probably an angel, and he's holding in his hand a measuring rod. And the vision begins in the temple in Jerusalem. So we're going to read from Ezekiel 47, starting at verse 1. And what you might like to do as I read this through, in fact, what I would encourage you to do, is to close your eyes and just listen. 
and then try to visualize for yourself what Ezekiel is describing in your own way. Now the man brought me back to the entrance to the temple. I saw water pouring out from under the temple porch to the east. He walked to the east with a measuring tape and measured off 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water waist deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet. By now, it was a river over my head, water to swim in, water no one could possibly walk through. He said, son of man, have you had a good look? Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. When it empties into those waters, the sea will become fresh. Wherever the river flows, a life will flourish because the river is turning the Dead Sea into fresh water. Where the river flows, life abounds. Okay, so there's lots of imagery going on here, isn't there? Let me just give you a few quick clues as to what is happening. So the first thing that we see is that this river is flowing from the temple in Jerusalem. And that is significant in this vision because the temple is where people understood that God dwelled on earth. So the source of that river is God himself. And we see that exact same imagery in the very last book of the Bible, in the New Testament, called Revelation, where John has a very similar vision. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, throughout the Bible, the pouring out and the flowing of water is symbolic of the moving of the Holy Spirit. And longing for water is symbolic of longing for more of God in our lives because no one can survive more than a few days without it. So Psalm 63, for example, when King David is in the desert, he says this, You are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Then in John's Gospel in the New Testament, chapter 7, it says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And then when Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, and he asks her for a drink from the well, he says this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. The water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. So these are all the ideas and the pictures that a biblical audience would have had painted for them by this imagery of this living water flowing from God's presence. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
to bring blessing and life and healing with the power to change people and the power to change our world. And we see that pictured at the end of that passage in Ezekiel 47. This river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. When it empties into those waters, the sea will become fresh. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish because the river is turning the Dead Sea into fresh water. Where the river flows, life abounds. Now you may know that the Dead Sea is called that for a reason. It has such a high salt content that nothing can live in it. It is the very definition of deadness. But this river of blessing flowing from the presence of God, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, has the power to heal and to bring back to life even the Dead Sea. Wherever the river flows, life will flourish. Wherever the river flows, life abounds. And as this life-giving water, this living water, flows through the desert, fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food, and the leaves for healing. And again, very similarly in Revelation. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. It flowed down the centre of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. So in both of these passages, what we're seeing is continuous fruit all year round, thanks to this water of life, this living water that flows from the throne of God, the very presence of God himself. And we see the fruit of the Spirit feeding people and blessing people. And we see the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations. And then one last thing that's very important as well. I don't know whether you caught this. Did you catch the name of the tree that's growing by that river? A tree of life. Where have we come across that before? In the creation story, Genesis 3, where there were two trees that were given names, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And if you know the story, God said to Adam and Eve, I've only got one command, one little thing that I'm asking you, which is not to eat from the first tree. They were welcome to eat anything else, including the tree of life. But human nature being what it is, they couldn't even manage that one little thing. And you know, Genesis is not just a, a picture of what Adam and Eve were like, it's picturing what we are like as well. Human nature is to say we know best, isn't it? And that we'll decide for ourselves how we will live. Thank you very much. We'll decide for ourselves what's good and what's not. What we think is good for ourselves. We're happy to listen to God's advice, but ultimately we'll do our own thing. 
And for most people, including many Christians, it's still the same today. Happy to have Jesus as an advisor, but not for him to be in charge telling us what to do, especially when it might get in the way of what we want to do. You know, the the best test of whether Jesus is Lord of our life is to ask ourselves how often we ever do something that isn't what we personally want to do just because we know it's the right thing. Anyway, from that moment on, that that disaster in the Garden of Eden, sin became embedded in what it means to be human. And God said, now I have to block the way to that tree of life. Because what if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever in that sinful state. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And what it's picturing here in this picture language that we see throughout the Bible, what it's picturing is not an act of punishment against humanity, but an act of protection. Until that right time came, when God would intervene through Jesus to deal with sin and death and make it possible for for us to eat from that tree of life and live forever through Jesus. Okay, so let's just recap all of this. So we have this river flowing from the temple, from the presence of God, a river that God himself has set in motion, which is symbolic of the moving of the Holy Spirit. And this, the central character in this story is Ezekiel, and he's being led through that water. And we'll come back to him in a moment. And this water starts flowing through the desert, through a dry valley where there was no life. And as it flows, it builds momentum, and it gets deeper and deeper and wider and wider. And this river of the Holy Spirit brings life and blessing to everything and everyone that it touches. We see trees growing in barren places. There's continuous fruit and healing and restoration. And not just fruit and not just healing, there's also an open invitation to everyone to eat from this tree of life and receive God's gift of eternal life as well. And this river of blessing, this outpouring of the Spirit flowing from the presence of God has the power to heal even the Dead Sea. Even somewhere where there's no apparent sign of life, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is going to bring life and transformation. Wherever that river flows, life will flourish. Where the river flows, life abounds. Okay. So now, this is the really exciting thing. This outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the end times that Ezekiel prophesied about has already begun. It's the same outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Joel prophesied about in Joel 2 and that the Apostle Peter recognised was happening, recognised was starting on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. 
that Jesus himself had said was going to happen after he ascended to heaven. This is what Peter said. What you see now on the day of Pentecost was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And these are the times that we are still living in. It wasn't just then in the past, and it won't just be something that happens in the future. The first fruits of that are for now as well. Jesus said that once the Holy Spirit was poured out, once this started to happen, he would never leave. I will ask the Father to send you the Holy Spirit who will help you and always be with you. And I couldn't resist mentioning this, that little word translated help you also means comfort you, encourage you and defend you. How cool is that? And it gets even better. Remember how the source of that river, the source of the presence of the Holy Spirit whom God is going to pour out, remember how that was the temple in Ezekiel's vision? Well, if we look to the New Testament, who is the temple now? Look in Ephesians. Through Jesus we have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And this is the bit. In him, the whole building, all of that stuff, is joined together and rises to become, what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become this temple, this dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So the source of this blessing of the Holy Spirit that God wants to pour out into this world, into these dry places, into these places of death, is the presence of God in and through his church. The point of God filling his church with the Holy Spirit and pouring out his life and his blessing on us is so that we can pour out the Holy Spirit's life and blessing to others. Just as we were reading earlier when Jesus said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So we're invited, all of us is invited to come to Jesus and to drink for ourselves from this living water, but not just to stop there. We're also called to be channels for rivers of living water to flow to others as well. So what does that look like in practice in Aylesbury, in our town and in our neighbourhoods? Well, it looks just like Ezekiel 47. It looks like water flowing through a desert, through a dry valley where there's no life. It looks like a river of the Holy Spirit, bringing life and blessing and fruit and healing to everything and everyone that it touches from the presence of God and his temple. 
deeper and deeper, wider and wider. Spiritually and materially, through church and storehouse. Soft play and vibes and community fridge and make lunch. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our welcome and our worship and the word and the power of prayer on a Sunday morning and every other thing we do besides. Everything that the Holy Spirit touches through us and through our servant-hearted obedience in enabling us to create an environment, to enable an environment where God can move and will move because he wants to move in all of these ways. It looks like fruit and healing and restoration all year round. Abundant life in every way as God intended. Drinking living water so we'll never thirst again. This river of blessing that God wants to flow from his presence, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that he wants to bring, has the power to heal and to bring back to life even the Dead Sea. So even places that we would think are dead, families and communities and people, where you think there is no hope, nothing could ever happen there. But if we're obedient to what God is asking us individually to be part of what he's doing, because remember that God chooses to do what he does with us and through us. If we're willing to be obedient, then God will bring this life and hope and fruitfulness and healing in our town, in Aylesbury and in our neighbourhoods. Deeper and deeper, wider and wider. And God is calling every single one of us to get involved and to be a part of it. Not just to come and be blessed, but to come and be a blessing. So let me finish with Ezekiel, this main character in the story, who we haven't said anything about just yet. Well, he's actually just been a spectator, hasn't he, of everything that's been happening in this vision kind of like we've been spectators of what's been happening in that vision this morning. So what was the Holy Spirit wanting to say to Ezekiel? And what does the Holy Spirit want to say to us? I saw water pouring out from under the temple porch to the east. He walked to the east with a measuring tape and measured off 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water that was knee-deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet, leading me through water waist-deep. He measured off another 1,500 feet. By now it was a river over my head, water to swim in, water no one could possibly walk through. And he said, Son of man, have you had a good look? The question that he was asking Ezekiel and the question I want us to ask ourselves this morning is this. How far do you want to go? Because God wants to lead every single one of us into deeper and deeper waters of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. The question is, how far do you want to go? 
Are we just going to sit on the riverbank and watch what God is doing and watch what his church is doing? Are we going to be spectators in church? Or are we going to jump in to the flow of what God wants to do and what he is already doing? Are we going to stay within our comfort zone or jump in and serve the vision? How far are we going to let God lead us into those waters? Ankle deep and stop there. Knee deep and stop there. Waist deep and stop there. Or will we let go and let God? Will we step out of our comfort zone, the passenger zone, the spectator zone, and jump into that river going out of our depth where all we can do is swim and put our faith and our trust in the goodness of God? Are we going to just paddle along in the kingdom or are we going to plunge in go in over our heads and give everything that we've got to what God wants to do in this place in this prophetic vision we are Ezekiel you and me we are that person who the angel of the Lord is leading through these waters of the Holy Spirit how far do you want to go, says the Lord? How far do you want to go in giving your time and your energy and your money and your possessions and your serving and your volunteering? How far do you want to go to help see these things come about? Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, or way in over your head, out of your depth? I want you to ask yourselves this morning, whereabouts are you in the waters of that river this morning? How far do you want to go in becoming like Jesus with a deeper and deeper spiritual life? How far do you want to go in doing what Jesus says? How far do you want to go? How much do you want to give in serving the kingdom and serving the vision that God has for this town to bring fruit and healing and blessing and eternal life. Where people can find Jesus and know that there is a God who loves them and who cares for them because of you. How far do you want to go, says the Lord. By now it was a river over my head Water to swim in, water no one could possibly walk through. And he said, Son of man, have you had a good look? How far do you want to go?